Bonjour tout le monde, bienvenue à notre premier podcast en français. Cet épisode concentre sur une chanson magnifique. Et ça c'est pourquoi il s'appelle Beaucoup plus tard, la même nuit à Paris. Ce soir, pour la troisième fois, nous accueillons notre copain, le génie Eric Baumgartner. Bonjour. <laughs> Bonjour, messieurs. Monsieur. <laughs> oh, Hello, chaps. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. So there oh, we go. Yeah. There's a, there's a first. It's not a wasted education after all, Paul. Well done. Yeah, well exactly. Done. Can you tra- can you translate it? Because it was wasted for me. I, even though I, I got French O level, but it didn't mean much to me. Okay. Well, just for the sake of you, I said <laughs> thank um, you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our first podcast in French. Um, this episode focuses on a magnificent song. Uh, the podcast is called uh, Much Later the Same Night in Paris. Tonight, for the third time, we welcome our mate, the genius Eric Baumgartner. Hello, sir. Okay. <laughs> yeah. How does that work? <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Well, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joining you guys once again. I adore this track. This is one of my all-time favorites. Oh. It's just can, so w- wonderfully bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> it really can is. I just, can I just shock you, as, 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 Alan, as Alan Partridge would say? <laughs> I'm not, I've never been that keen on One Night in Paris. Mm. I mean, I, I'm really looking forward to talking about it, and it, its construction is uh, magnificent. But from a song magic point of view, I think with a couple of bits, it's kind of lacking... Um, That's that's just that's just my my take on it. Because oh, fair enough. Yeah. Else, elsewhere, um, all around those albums, you've got songs which are packed full of brilliance. They're not just brilliance. They're kind of they're musical moments which which move you. You know, they mm-hmm. move you through through the way the music moves or works. Mm. This this one, um, a lot of the heavy lifting is done theatrically or something but the actual component parts of the music some of it i've you know leaves me it doesn't it doesn't move me in the same way and perhaps between the three of us we can work out what bits do and don't perhaps oh, that's really interesting Just, Paul. And, and, and i've got a slight confession to make is that in that it's not one of the 10 c tracks that i revisit very often because mm-hmm. i find it a little bit hard on my ears Um, it's, it kind of beats me around the head a little hmm. bit. Um, and that there are quite a few reasons for that. And, and, and I guess we'll, we'll kind of look at that. I suppose I, I, I'd rather listen to something like Sacroiliac. And I've, prob- <laughs> I've probably listened to that one about five times more often than I've listened to One Night in Paris. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fascinating? Mm. Uh, that's just music, isn't it? What hits yeah. you and what doesn't hit you, it's remarkable. I feel the same way. There's loads of very celebrated pieces that don't do a heck of a lot for me. But, uh, oh, very nice. You have the wine there. I was half expecting a beret on you as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I, I should have a baguette under one arm and a string of onions exactly. ready. Exactly. But uh, yeah, le vin rouge. Oh, by the way, just as, as a little aside, do you know what? The French slang is for red wine. No, you'll like this, Paul. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, apologies for any French listeners. Gros cul, which means fat ass. 
That's what it gives you, is it? I, I presume so. <laughs> uh, um, I, I, I seem to have escaped mostly on that score. But yes, I've, I've, I've got um, yeah, half a glass of, of fat ass with me and um, I, I, feel, I feel ready for the, the, the Baumgartner uh, Onslaught. tour de force. Yeah, yeah. And that well, maybe with this French. one... Maybe with this one, it's not so much the whole, but I am fascinated by the individual bits. Yes. Okay. And I think there's some of their cleverest writing. And we talked last time about some of the common uh, harmonic devices. Well, they're all in here in spades, plus a handful of ones that are unique to this piece. Mm. And I think that's where my ear goes. I go, oh, my gosh, that's, that's wonderful. And, of course, as we will talk about it, vocally, it's just magnificent yes. where all four you know, get their time to shine individually, but mm. also collectively, the, the, mm -hmm. the harmonies and the writing and just the, the campy characters. <laughs> it's just good fun. No, I, I, absolutely. And as a piece of... Um, musical theatre, which it is, I think it's it's absolutely magnificent. Um, I I love I love the story, I love the characterisation, uh, and I love the fun uh, that they're having. Um, and mm -hmm. and despite Paul Ass like kind of musical misgivings about it, um, mm -hmm. it, it it is a masterpiece. I think. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. Uh, it is. Um, it's a track that all four of them rate very highly um mm. i uh, we can perhaps feed in a few little uh, quotes I've, I've done some bit of research um uh, about what the guys said about the track and i won't bring mm. bring them all to the table right now but i did note that eric is a big fan of this song and he yes. he gives over more time um, in his autobiography writing about one night in paris than any other non-stuart and goldman song so he's he's enamoured with the composition, with the recording process, and I, and that I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah, I agree. And do you remember Paul uh, when we were talking to Graham about it? He he called it magnificent. Yes, yes, of course. Um, so all four, obviously, uh, Kevin and Lowell were were you know thought it was it was I think it was the first track they worked on for the original soundtrack sessions. Hmm. Was it? Didn't you tell me that I'm not in love was the was the first one? Mm, I'm not sure. I okay, not sure on that one. Perhaps somebody can send us an answer but on no, a postcard. That rings a that rings a bell from Eric's book actually, and, um, and of course there was you know it was rumored to have have been planned to go across the whole of, of side one of the album. Yes, it was half an hour long. Um, well, since we're talking about the genesis of the song, I'm just going to bring in this quote here, which I hadn't actually heard before um very good interview um with an australian journalist from it's quite recent because it well, fairly recent because his interview mentions um worldwide band and projects like that but kevin mm. said i just remember we hired a village in the south of france which is interesting so it was actually written in france and we had mm. we had a piano in there we just spent a few hours tinkering around lol bangs these chords around and i started big operatic style voice it says one night in paris and lol says hang on a minute what you've sung there fits exactly with what i've just played so it is i found that that fascinating it wow. was written in france and and that that moment is captured that just about in that memory from kevin there oh, mm. i never heard that yeah, before it's, that's it's good isn't it yeah 
Uh, the other thing he uh, in the same interview, Kevin also says, the idea of doing it came from a film, an American in Paris with Gene Kelly choreographing Gershwin's piece, and it was like that just connected with us so much. This is Paris, and I'm an American who lives here. I'm a painter. All my life, that's all I've ever wanted to do. Brother, if you can't paint in Paris, you better give up and marry the boss's daughter. So that's yeah. interesting. And I'd, I'd, be yeah. fa- I'd be fascinated, Eric, to hear if you've got any insight mm. in terms of that that G- Gershwin-y American influence, because uh, we hear an awful lot of of American musical theatre in it, don't we, I presume? Um, uh, uh, bits and pieces, uh, but I, it's still very much godly and cream to me. I don't hear a lot of, of Gershwinisms, per se. Okay. Uh, apart from just here or there, there might be a... 251. Oh, yeah. You know, so that, that I could trace back to it. Right, but, right. Uh, you know, things like uh, this... I can't trace to Gershwin or <laughs> musical theater. <laughs> yeah. Maybe more Jesus Christ Superstar in terms of the dissonance yes, involved yes. with it. Yeah, more modern musical theater. Yes. L- looking at that that wonderful uh, lyric sheet that they have printed um, in exactly the style and font of a movie script, uh, which I think is a really nice touch. But um, this is interesting. Um, occasionally, what you'll see um, when they... They kind of specify the character who's speaking. They say, for example, in part two, the hustlers, kind of played by Graham and, and the others. There are five of those hustlers. And the first one, off stage, it says, uh, you want a little culture? And then two, off stage, maybe monsieur is into photographs, no? Etc. There's references to being off stage. And I wonder if that's a reference to a soundstage in a movie studio or whether they were picturing it as an onstage production. Um, well, that's certainly taken from theatrical onstage. Those yeah. would be the, 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 the notes you would see, you know. Yeah. And so a character just in the wings delivering the line before coming on to stage is the most common thing. Definitely. And I think they were just having fun. They were saying, let's just make this very theatrical. So those, I, I, I guess, are fun and but a bit arbitrary, just kind of saying, you know, so you can visualize this theatrically you know on the stage but uh, yeah yeah, I love those little bits I think that's a nice touch yeah me too and it kind of it makes it a very a a three-dimensional visual presentation doesn't it so you can it helps they're trying to help us imagine it Mm -hmm. in in real life or real life in inverted commas don't you think Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no doubt Do do you guys have any theories about how how it may have sounded almost impossible to guess when it was a 20 or 30 minute piece and um, again we know a little bit about the editing process in that it was a collaborative thing all four of them sat down and and Eric and Graham persuaded Kevin and Lowell to contract it from 20 or 30 minutes down to nine but uh, what do you think do you think it maybe had more could it have been more like consequences in that it had sections of dialogue and and more sound effects and and the and the music was all that was left or you know do you imagine we hear more music some of which was you know extraneous i have 
I have no idea. There, no. there doesn't seem to be any kind of extant, you know, cut pieces from it, does there? No. Uh, no. By the time it was recorded, it was its in its finished form, I think. All that editing took place in, in oh. Strawberry, in the rehearsal process. Oh, I so, see. Okay. So, I mean, it's, yeah. it's not an unfair question, of course. None <laughs> of us have ever or can ever hear it. I just wondered what, whether we could hypothesise on what it might might have been. Yeah, I... I my, my my fantasy is that it, Paul, it does go into kind of consequences territory, yeah. and you get spoken dialogue and and expansion of the characters and and a bit more kind of intrigue. But I'm, I'm hoping that that the real answer isn't that the piano interlude in the middle goes on for for, 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 for fifteen <laughs> minutes. minutes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Also, to you know, in retrospect, how things can get you know bigger and bigger in your mind. Maybe it's not a full half hour that they had worked out. Maybe yeah. it is something more like twelve minutes. Yeah, and, you know, they're trimming here or there. Who knows? Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> yeah, but it's a wonderful thought, and I think I think Paul, we asked both Kevin and Graham about this mythical longer version, and, and neither of them could remember what happened with it. Really, not really. No. Yeah. no. But uh, I, I think it's just just perfect at eight minutes thirty nine. <laughs> I do too. Yeah, I don't think it overstays its welcome. Not for for me. Yeah. Did you want to talk about the instrumentation? And yeah. How scaled down it is relatively. Yeah, I, 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 that was one of my major uh, points about this, Eric. Why don't you start off on that? I did notice a line in the Liam Newton book that Eric said that they tried for two weeks adding, like, everything, you know, loading it up, and eventually decided to scrap that and just go down to essentially piano, bass, drums, and percussion. Yeah. So that begs the question, you know, what did they add? How big was it? And why did they choose to scale it back? Because it's a very daring, daringly sparse orchestration. You have piano, and many times he'll overdub, you know, maybe a second or a third piano track to sections. Yes. Uh, we have the drum kit, we have the bass, but we have lots of really, really fun percussion. Not just the timpani vibes, but the shakers and things that oh. really add a lot of sparkle. I agree. And um, it sounds like Kevin and Graham are having a really good time banging those things in, in the studio. And I, I've, I've managed to isolate some bits and pieces that kind of illustrate that. Uh, and I think, I think the percussion is, is marvellous. But it, it is surprisingly sparse, isn't it? It's almost like clockwork creep or something like that, where it's, you know, clockwork creep has got the... A kind of very minimalist piano, uh, mm-hmm. uh, minimalist drums, um, and very little else. And in a way, this track is is, is kind of barking up that tree. Um, everything is ruled by the piano, and 
And the vocals. That's the thing is, I, I think maybe part of it was not to detract from the vocals, which are so outstanding. And yes. there's so many wonderfully clever vocal bits, both with the lead and, and uh, harmonized and, and backing counter lines and things. So maybe that was part of it, too. They I agree. To. 100% agree. Um, and I'm not sure if you've ever noticed this, chaps, but if you listen to this song in headphones, it's very interesting that the vocals are almost entirely panned way over to the left and way over to the right um which which is very kind of 60s beatles um and, well and not only oh sorry sean yeah but sorry. not only that but it sounds like they're using a good amount of adt the the automatic double tracking that the beatles did ah. where they'll have the the source voice in one channel and then delayed just a microsecond it's, it's it's fed if you listen to the very beginning the bonjour monsieur as well as the yes this is only one i can hear that clearly and it sounds too clean to be double tracked right yeah i, I, I don't think it's yeah i don't think it's double tracked it sounds like it's the beatles technique of just simply copying and, and delaying just very very shortly the, i was wondering the, the, the same thing thing. The reason I mention that that hard panning of the vocals, I think Eric in the mix is deliberately leaving the lion's share of the space in the mix. The, if you like, the, the 75% space in the middle of the stereo spectrum is Lol's piano. Hmm. Um, I, think, I think Lol's piano is the star of the show. Um, and, I, and I think that's, that's where the mix is, is, is kind of telling us to concentrate. So on stage... Lol is right up front, center, and and the, yeah, vocal, so the vocalists again, are either back. side. One night in Paris is like a year in any other place. One night in Paris will wipe the smile off your pretty face. One girl in Paris is like loving every woman. Yes, exactly. So if you're thinking about seeing it as a theatrical production, you would have, you know, Lowell in the orchestra pit in the center there, kind of the conductor, and then, yes, the the little action going on. Yeah, and I didn't notice a lot of active panning movement, except for one neat little percussive bit. When we go to the the second time... And the milk bottles, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yes, there you go. <laughs> yes. But when we go to the second time, uh, is he going to buy? Is he going to pay? The second time that comes in, you can hear what sounds like percussive footsteps starting in the right channel and slowly working their yep. way across. Oh, I never noticed that. And, yeah, it's delightful. And you probably wouldn't notice unless you're listening via headphones. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like they're trying to do footsteps. You hear like a, a clop, shake, clop, shake, clop, shake. It's, and it's, it's very entertaining and subtle. Hmm. Is he gonna buy? Is he gonna buy? Is he gonna pay? Is he gonna pay? Or is he gonna fall in love the all-American way? Is he gonna buy? Because again, I didn't notice it until I was preparing for this and listening via headphones. Yeah, so we can kind of picture the the hapless, sex crazed tourist um, <laughs> going from one room to another. Maybe Eric. Maybe you know they're trying to create a visual picture, aren't they? 
Yes, yeah, really, really clever stuff. Brilliant. Talking of pictures, shall we? Shall we start looking at the track and uh, maybe uh, pick apart the that that wonderful sonic intro? Yes. Sure. Yeah. So uh, what I've done here is is extracted the left and right channels from from the original recording. I've tried to take out what's in the middle of the stereo picture. Generally speaking, that means that I've taken out Graham's bass. Kevin's bass drum and maybe the middle notes of the piano and what that helps us do is kind of hone in to some of the the kind of hidden treasures on the album. I thought this was uh, quite funny listening to that lovely intro. It's definitely a multi-track recording. Maybe um, good old Pete is outside with his microphones uh, taking a recording of the the traffic lights on Waterloo Road, I think. (laughs) Uh, which is nice. So you've got that little bit of uh, kind of city ambiance. And then you've got a couple of French guys chatting to each other. And with my, shall we say, my limited knowledge of, of my, my French degree, I think they're talking bollocks. Uh, it's it's made up uh, kind of pigeon French. I, I Sur think, de bon avignon. Well, well there's <laughs> one like guy. I, I think that's the only coherent thing. I think one yeah. of the other guys... Is um, is calling his mate Didier. Um, <laughs> so I've got some some little audio treats here for you boys. So um, if if you can indulge me, I'd like to share a couple of bits with you, if that's okay. Please go ahead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so so brief, <laughs> but I I love the fact that on one side. Uh, of of this city scene you've got a bar with a honky-tonk pianist banging away uh, uh, kind of relentlessly but on the other side of the street you've got another honky-tonk pianist giving it some as well (laughs) so I think I think Lol's had a lot of fun during this thing so this is our two honky-tonk pianists Yeah, quite nice. They're so brief, these moments. So, so yes, brief. They are. I can picture Eric, Pete and, and the boys having some sort of consequences type fun with um, kicking over milk bottles and things. Eric, um, Eric's quote is, we had great fun recording it, smashing milk bottles, running up and down our studio steps and muttering in French. So that, that basically <laughs> explains it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It sounds like it, yes. It really is. But there's there's one little Easter egg in here, chaps, that I only discovered yesterday. If we can picture the scene, our, our tourist, Eric, is is walking down a French street at night and just wants somewhere to stay. You know, he's got a few francs in his pocket. And he knocks on the door and uh, the, the landlady says, uh, yeah, you know, welcome to the finest place in Paris. And he, and he, and he says, yeah, I'll take it. But listen to what a voice uh, inside this apartment or this hotel says. See if you can identify the word that's spoken in English from inside the place. Hang on. Hang on. What? What? Oh. What? Yes. So, so you think said- it might be like... <laughs> Actually, knocking on a door in Stockport somewhere. <laughs> yeah, like, what, what? What are you doing? Yeah, who's knocking? <laughs> Eric's outside knocking on the door. He's getting a response from maybe some 
John, shall we use an American phrase, is in there, yeah. perhaps busy and doesn't want to be disturbed, <laughs> and, and saying, looking up and saying, what? So maybe it's another English tourist in there. <laughs> I'd never noticed that. No, That's me neither. Yeah. It's great, or, isn't or it? You, what? Or, what? Or do you think... Do you think they were actually just knocking on somebody's random door and, and, the, and the real guy answered? Is that what you, Do you mean it's What's in, in the world of One Night in Paris or in, in the real world? It could be. In- I don't know. No, I, I don't know. It, it's, it, it just doesn't make any sense. But it, it's, it's wonderful if they're knocking. It doesn't sound like an, it doesn't sound like an actor saying no, it doesn't. that, yeah. quote unquote. It sounds like it's an accident. Yeah, they, they may well have been knocking on the office door of Strawberry and that's Pete's voice saying, yeah. what? <laughs> Poor old Pete, yeah. yeah. But that, that is joyous, isn't it? It's just fantastic. <laughs> That's a nice little nugget, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, anyway, so that's a conversation stopper, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. But yeah, let's, let, let's move on, because I think we've covered that. That, that, that nanosecond. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd love to share with you some of the harmonic nuggets that yeah. are in the, the beginning there. Um well, the, the one thing that's that's marvelous about the beginning is we have these varied and uh, just fun chords that you would expect from Lowell Cream, particularly. Forty francs a night, all right. But one thing in particular that I noticed fairly recently is this beginning section favors the B chord and the C chord a lot. They're kind of shifting back and forth, okay. which is great kind of harmonic continuity, harmonic foreshadowing of the chorus, because the mm-hmm. chorus also, C, B, uses the C and B extensively, could be your last, we're going back and forth between uh-huh. those. So in that intro, the second part, um, if I go to the next bit, uh, it's crazy, C, um, it isn't worth a something, B. I'll take it back to C. Mm. <laughs> so we're kind of going back and forth between right. those. Who slips in the gaslight? And then we have this big cadence. So way the croissant crumbles after all. <laughs> and it looks like we're headed to something big, like the you know the the the, uh, the overture is moving forward. Yeah. And this little interlude fascinates me. This. Uh, For a couple of reasons. One is they use a lot of chromaticism, which is something that they love to do. But also, unusually, most of it doesn't have any obvious harmony. You don't hear chords being banged out. What you hear is just simply single note melody with a single note bass, you know? So the best you can say is it's implied harmony, but we don't really have another full chord until there. Very clever, and that's unusual. I can't think of too many pieces that that do that, Mm. strip away an obvious harmonic block chord or an arpeggio and just simply say, bam, there it is. Yeah, that's interesting, and I I agree. But Paul, this might be the the nub of, of what you find unsatisfying about this track, in that it's not as chordal as a lot of 10cc stuff, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it could be, and it could, um, I, I'm, I'm 
waiting to hear what Eric says about the, the two moments that I really do love about this. So, well, we were not there yet, so we'll, I'd be interested, in, <laughs> okay. interested to hear whether that sort of fits. I want, Now, that is interesting. I wonder whether that's one of the sections where there, were, there was more instrumentation, even that early on, and well, all that was left was the, you know, the kind of the skeletal piano part. I, I think so. D- don't you find it cryptic that it gives Eric credit for steel guitar? Aha! Uh-huh. Well, in this I've piece? got I've got a revelation for you there, Mister. I, I, I do hear one as well. So maybe we we, we hit upon the same uh, bit. W- where did you find it, Sean? I'll, I'll show you what I found, and I I think with my Sherlock Holmes hat on, I think this is uh, a steel guitar, and I think Eric is just playing four notes. For about five seconds, it's in the rouge lips in the gaslight. Okay, and there's you a, got it. There's That's a, where I'm yeah, hearing it. A beautiful, yeah. there's a beautiful kind of high, high sustained note that it sounds almost like I don't know, like a French horn or something. Um, but this is what I hear, and I, I think this is Eric on steel guitar. Rouge lips in the gaslight, a great view of the hall. Oh yes, I never heard that yes. before. Yeah. Rouge lips in the gaslight, a great view of the hall. And that is it. Right. Exactly. That's my findings as well. Yeah. And that was only fairly recently, again, that I noticed mm. that. Yep, same here. Uh, but while we're talking about mystery uh, instruments, during that little link, there's a high whistling yes. instrument yes. doubling that. <laughs> I don't know what that is. We've got identical uh, links there, uh, Eric. <laughs> Um, and uh, honestly, uh, you and I were definitely separated at birth. Um, <laughs> it would seem so. This is what that that whistle sounds like, kind of semi, kind of isolated. Um, the jury's out for me, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know what that is. I think there are two possibilities. One is Lowell's Moog, hmm. uh, and the other one is someone whistling. Doesn't sound like somebody whistling to me. No, it sounds a bit too pure, doesn't it? We'll have another listen. Gun to my head, I think that's Lol's Moog. Could it? I, you know what? I think you're right. Is that a, you yeah. can get those whistling sounds out of the mini mug for sure. Is that yeah. another example where maybe they either couldn't be bothered to or couldn't properly erase both the steel guitar <laughs> and, and the Moog there? You know, maybe it was. Although it wouldn't have been. Re- well, would it have been recorded on the well, basic track? Doesn't sound like it. No. Well, Paul, it's, it's, it's funny you say that because I'm sure Sean, listening via headphones, knows the same thing. There are several dropouts. There are several moments where an instrument or a vocal will suddenly cut out, yep. which you would suspect is because they need to punch in mm-hmm. a, a, a different instrument on the same That's track. That's right, where, where Eric, Eric's doubling a part, isn't he? And, and then suddenly his voice is gone. Yeah, the, I'll, I'll take it. You don't hear yeah, the it, it in, in the that's one it. channel. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, 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 and I'm wondering because then that's where the steel guitar comes in. So maybe the, that I'll take it, and the steel guitar were on the same track, and they were punching in for that. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's amazing. It's interesting. While we're on this this topic, I, I wanted to to give you chaps a little treat, and it, and it's my very very favorite bit 
of this track and it, and it might surprise people because it's kind of it's really buried it's really subtle and it's really short and it's arguably the richest musically the richest part of this track where you actually get a very varied texture made of of quite a few different instruments and we, we were talking about the kind of rarefied arrangement of this track but um, this section and it is in part one still where we hear love for sale mm-hmm. you know that oh, bit yeah. and then yeah. it introduces a, a beautifully rich and subtle section it, it, it's horribly brief but and I'll just let you hear it Yeah. Oh, and what I, I, I tell you what I'm hearing there. I'm hearing the somewhere in Hollywood electric piano with a m- massive tremolo and reverb. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm hearing Lol playing is uh, the vibes. What's that high yeah. ethereal uh-huh. sound? Do you think it's well, a gizmo? Paul, I, I did actually think about the gizmo, but I've got a theory about it, Paul. I love it. Okay. If you look in the middle of this clip, folks, you'll hear a kind of a long sustained sound that kind of goes, oh, that sort of thing. Have a listen again. I've got a theory. I think it's Kevin. Uh, it's just his voice um, singing something like Sherry. Ah. Fed through tons and tons and tons of that plate reverb. Mm-hmm. So imagine now you're hearing Kevin singing way in the distance. It also makes sense. It also sounds like that uh, effect they use in Consequences, where they they did use a gizmo and they had that kind of little bobble on the tape loop to make it go slightly out. Yeah. I don't know whether yeah. they only, oh, you know, yeah, whether they came to yeah. that later. Uh, yeah, who, I don't know. It's very atmospheric, though. It's it really a is, and, and, and I think yeah, and, and it's like ten seconds of real gorgeous beauty. You buried the lead somewhat because Drabian, there's love for sale. If you listen to the piano here, we got Lowell's magic chord being played very softly. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's up a half step, it's G over C. It's the, the, the hey, there's your your brand the brand the branded chord. <laughs> yeah. It's just very soft in there, and of course your ears is is not attuned to it. Um, oh, fabulous. If could we back up one second since we're talking about this section mm. uh, when when Kevin's doing the, the the low bit here, we have the same technique uh, of just a single melody and single bass. It was his only was the And then here, of course, we have that lovely transition that you just played. But how about Kevin in two Phrases he goes from a low E 
Way beyond, way, way, way down there, up to a high D. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about a span of just about three octaves. Wow. Is, yeah, and it's, it's, the whole, it's the whole guitar, isn't it? The 12 frets of the guitar there. <laughs> yeah. And, Bastard. And it's, it's not just simply like me trying to build out a low E. He's got character with it. It's got yeah. you yeah. Know, flavor, as well as when he goes to the, the, the female voice. And I just think that's marvelous that he has that uh, versatility and the dexterity. Yeah, yeah I, to do I, that. I, I totally agree because he's... He's doing a wonderful job of of playing coquette, isn't he? The yeah, the, the, the tortured prostitute, um, and but 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 he's also you know a really strong voice in the the voice of the streets, um, yeah. you know the, the the hustlers and all the rest of it. He's definitely the most versatile performer on this record. I think so. Uh, it's it's just remarkable. And as I said, that bit I can say is the most Gershwin-esque, right. <laughs> you know, uh, on the, re- the recording. Um, why is it? It's, why is it really... so Gershwin-esque, Eric? Is it following what he well, would have done? Well, if you remember, yes, because we, we were talking uh, during the, the 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 Revlon tapes about the use of the jazz uh, chord progression, the two, five, to lead to a resolution to a yeah, one. Yeah. That's what they're doing here. Is it's basically an E minor nine and A thirteen to a, a D. By the way, that second chord, they love that one a lot too. This is a, a dominant thirteenth chord. It's the opening chord for down on the casting couch. Okay. You know, for somewhere in Hollywood. It's it's it, they they love that one. So that's why Paul, I would say it's the most traditional. But and again. When you hear it, it just kind of seems like they're going to, you know, tip their hat to that era after having this more harmonically ambiguous section. And this is another reason why I love this track is you'll see this flipping back and forth between the more traditional and then the uh, uh, absolutely purely original again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, by the way, you know, and I'll show you a wonderful time. This is that same melody that acted as that link earlier just in a higher key again clever and efficient yeah yeah yeah. and then there's another uh, thing they love to do that's a pink panther trick isn't it (laughs) uh it's a chromatic (laughs) passage They're, they're they're playing this in fifth but just moving down by half steps and we've, we've hit upon that as well, how they love to have uh, a chromatic elements, whether it's a melody or, in this case, as a link. Oh, and just, I think people might get a kick out of this. Like, this goes back, like, if you look at uh, Rubber Bullets, you know. Uh, God will come to set you free. This transition. Chromatic, oh, getting yeah. to the next section. <laughs> Wonderful. Or also... Uh, and Jumbo would be safe to land. My landings. You know, so they love to have these little transitions that are based on the chromatic scale. Oh, how do and you here fucking they do that? <laughs> and here they do it to get into the first chorus. And I'll just say briefly, the chorus is is wonderfully efficient. They only have three chord shapes, a B major, C major, and D major for the entire chorus, wow. all three choruses. God. And the left hand is also efficient. It's either playing a B as a pedal point, 
chord will move too. Yes. That. And it, 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 yeah. it plays A, B, and C. So depending on what's in the bass, that will change the flavor of the chord. But there's nothing more than that. Three shapes in the right hand and three individual bass notes. Uh, just each time they do the chorus, they add more instruments and make it more intense. But that doesn't change. They keep that very, very simple and uh, very uh, efficient. That's wow. really unusual relationships between those chords, aren't they? That couldn't be less traditional than... It's almost, well, ma- alphabetical, you know, A, B, C, D, those notes and chords all involved. They, yeah. they, they don't normally have a strong relationship with each other like that, do they? No. If, if we were to... We hit upon this in our emails about uh, alien cadences yeah. and, you know, pretentious musical talk like that. You can call this kind of a modified Locrian cadence or a Phrygian cadence, moving down a half step. But uh, you're right. So it's not traditionally, um, you know, Western in terms of the uh, major and minor of it. It's, it's a bit ambiguous. I mean, that's why when the tune ends, you know... It just doesn't really sound like a, yes. you know, it doesn't yeah, sound like not, a big traditional proper, ending. It's not a proper cadence, is it? Yeah, it, it's, it's an unusual one. It's not the, the, the traditional uh, five to one, and uh, it's great. Of course, I can go on all the way through with more little bits unless Eric, if you wouldn't mind me uh, just coming in for the choruses, because musically they're really, uh, really interesting, and I love what you've said there, but... I love tracking the vocalists on each of the different choruses. Yes, exactly. and I wonder if we could we could play a bit of bingo, um, spotting <laughs> sure, spotting sure, sure, the sure. spotting the singers. I've tried to take out the, the the drums and bass guitar a little bit so we hear the the vocalists a bit clearer. So here's the first chorus. Who are you hearing there? Well, there's only three. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, Lowell to start, and then Eric. But uh, it doesn't sound like either Graham or Kevin. Is it? Is it just the two of them? Okay. Well, let's listen again. Oh, that's Eric. That's Eric. Yeah. 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 Kevin, and then Graham bring it. Graham? S- singing the lower part. Eric. Kevin Graham. Let's listen again. Yeah. It might actually be Eric, Eric Graham. But you know, you're right. And I found some spots difficult to be able to uh, uh, firmly, confidently, you know, guess because of the fact that they're doing the characters, the accents, yeah. and a lot of falsetto. Yeah. I yeah. had more difficulty uh, picking out who is who in, in this one. Yes. And, and, and that's probably why we've had problems with picking apart Natural Wonder as well, because of the falsetto singing. It makes a difference. Here's chorus two. See what okay. you make of this one last two were kevin and lol i think but i didn't get the i i think so i I have to i have to jump in because their intonation is ridiculously good 
when they're hitting that C chord and just holding it, it's just so... Oh, by the way, I should make a little uh, sidetrack here, which you might hear by hearing my piano versus that. Yes. But the tr if anybody's trying to play along to this, if they want to, uh, the track runs a little flat. It, it, it is about okay. a quarter step flat. So if you try to play piano, if, I, if you hear me say C, B, and you play along, you're going, well, that sounds awful. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so if you have a digital piano, you can g get into the fine-tune menu and go down and, 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 and drop the pitch about a quarter of a step, and wow. that it'll match. But that, that might be just one of these frustrating things for people who are going to try to play along to it. Well, what, cool. now, why would that have been? Because the, con the, um, the piano, the Steinway itself, must have been tuned to concert, I imagine. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, there are some times when a piano will be out of tune and the band will tune to them, but for Strawberry Studios, you would definitely think that they would always maintain a concert yeah. pitch. And, of course, when you hear the other tracks that is definitely the case analog days this is just yeah, the situation yeah. where it very frequently sure. one of the machines when you're mixing down to yeah. it uh or making a copy of a mix is running slightly off speed yes. and as a result the pitch is going to move slightly up slightly down mm -hmm. that was a, a pretty common phenomenon for the the analog days for sure okay. i agree and may, maybe i mean just as a theory um, maybe they'd recorded one of the vocals slow uh, to make one of the, the the female characters sound more female. That's almost too and, smaller a difference, though, isn't it? To make yeah, to make but, that difference. Yeah, but maybe they they just forgot to turn the tape machine back to the normal speed. Yeah, maybe. Well, that would that would make more sense if it was sharp, but this yeah. is flat. Yeah, you know. So no, so no. What I mean is that to make the, to make the voice higher in the final recording, they'd have slowed the tape recorder down. And that would make oh, I it, see. And didn't see get I mean? it back up to... So yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. so who knows? I, I, I didn't know that, Eric. That's fascinating. Mm. Yeah, and it, I, it's, it's, I think it's unique to this track on the album. You know, mm. sometimes there's mistakes, like with an entire album, a copy will be made that runs slightly the wrong speed. Most famously, yeah. the, Sto the Stones' Beggar's Banquet and Miles Davis' Kind of Blue. For years and years and years, the reissues would, would just be like a quarter step off. And yeah. the, the latest ones, I think, they've corrected and they've gone back a generation and, and that. So it's just it's a byproduct of the uh, analog and, days, and most commonly. Don't forget Billy Joel's debut album, Cold Spring Harbor, which he got back uh, from the pressing plant for a special party. And it had been mastered, at, I think, a whole tone too high. Oh, and, he, no. and he sounded like no. sounded like a chipmunk, and he he, he kind of broke the record <laughs> over his knee and stormed out because it was. I mean, what what a humiliation! Oh, I don't, I don't oh, blame what him. What humiliation! Oh, that Long Island temper of his. That's yeah. right. Although, oh. although happily, he, he, he forged a pretty successful career after that early setback, but. <laughs> Can we just listen to the final chorus, Jack? Yes, for, for our yes. final round of bingo. Yeah, it's like the piano's playing the last harmony part on the end. It's kind of doing the refrain to Lol's high part. Mm. So I think mm. Eric starts mm. it again. Got to be lol bringing up the rear with that really um, high Graham one, isn't it? Third, I think. 
because yeah. He, yeah, it's not like the same distribution on the I first three. I think it three. is. I think it's going. It's going. Eric, Kevin, Graham, Lol. Would l- each would time. love to see video of that being filmed if they were all singing around one mic. That and you know, were were they still together and still had you know voices like that? I'm asking a bit much now. They're in their mid seventies, but you know, if a, yeah. if a, re- a reunion had happened some in the, sometime oh. in the intervening years, that would have could have been a stage highlight. Um, can, while we're on that oh. chorus, can I just? This is a kind of flight of f- fancy of mine. I've mentioned it to Sean before. They sing in French accents all the way through. In my fantasy version of this, they suddenly drop the French accents for the third and final chorus as the kind of scales fall from their eyes and and they kind of break the fourth Mm. wall and they sing in English as if like, yeah, this is what Paris is all about. And, you know, they never... Ah. I always always imagine that that would be an ending. Hint, hint. Sexy idea. For a live performance, I always thought that might be a good one. Yeah, une nuit à Stockport. <laughs> Very good. All night in Stockport is like a month of Sunday somewhere else. Before we, we start talking about part two mm-hmm. in particular, can we just recap briefly on um, the story so far? Good idea. Because uh, I think it, we've not really talked about the story, the narrative. It is an interesting thing. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, we, we have Lowell, the landlady, greeting Eric the tourist at the door and uh, she she says kind of ironically that Paris really welcomes you it's the best room in the house and in the lyric she lied she lied (laughs) um, which is a rhyme for all right which is yeah yeah, yeah. it's kind of kind of weird so it's kind of it's in the lyric sheet but not actually sung and then you've got the offstage chorus kind of painting the picture of Paris you know the rouge lips in the gaslight you know it's very very visual and then it hones in on coquette the the kind of tragic romantic uh interest in the story played played by kevin wish you were mine and i'll show you a wonderful time You've got the voice of the streets um, with that, you know, the massive chorus and so on. But part two is interesting because because it's kind of Graham's bit, isn't it? Part two. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Well, I mentioned earlier about how I love the the balance between things that might be more um, traditional. And in this case of this one, even cliche, balanced with the things that are uh, absolutely original. So Graham's bit here, uh, is he going to buy, is he going to pay, where he's also singing the harmony, is he going to buy, is he going to pay, is really just a standard blues progression. You know, and they get an awful lot of mileage out of this. The backing vocals, when they come in, do the same thing. Every once in a while, they'll, they'll throw in the third voice. Of, I love the American way. And you get a full chord. But the backing is as simple as can be. Mm-hmm. Laurel is just kind of doing this light little piano thing with no change whatsoever. Um, Graham must have thought, well, we can do better than that. So Graham's bass is alternating between an A, boom, 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 boom,
and the F. And that's it. Every time this little section comes up, that's what you have musically. Very simple. Is he gonna buy? Hey, you want the little culture. Is he gonna pay? Is he gonna fall in love? The all-American way. I gotta watch me that beautiful Swiss movie. Is he gonna buy? Oh, forget he watch. I should be a good time. Is he gonna pay? Is he gonna see that was something different? Or is he gonna fall in love? The all-American very economic. No, I agree. And go on. Paul. I was just going to say, is this the section? I'm going to bring another quote. Another quote here, and I didn't listen to it for reference. But um, Eric says Kevin played percussion beaters on the bass strings of the Steinway during the. Uh, this is kind of my quote. Is he going to buy a section? I I I was trying to work out what section he was talking about and, oh, and he oh. was talking about eric was talking about the prostitutes swaying or sashaying down the paris streets are we hearing anything like that anywhere around this section or maybe it's not here could, well paul could that possibly be what i mentioned earlier about the footsteps then the second half of this? ah yeah that might be it yeah 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 because that, uh, that one literally has moving from you know right channel to left it's kind of like a it's like a, a clop, shake, clop, shake, clop, shake. It, it sounds like that uh, during the second part of it. Perhaps, I'm not sure. Hard to tell what the instruments are, what, what, what's making the percussive sound. Well, I, yeah, I've, I've got, I, I think, some revelations here. Okay. Um, apart, apart from the footsteps, you've got these wonderful things that sound a bit like wood blocks. Graham's credited with percussion on this track. And uh, and I I wonder if he if he was let rip in the studio for this bit. But here's um, towards the end of the second section. This is the sound of of wood blocks and other percussion. Is he gonna buy? Is he gonna pay? Or is he gonna fall in love the all American way? Is he gonna buy? Is he gonna play? Or is oh he gonna my. fall in love the all-American way? Sometimes I think he will, but then again... Oh, that's that's remarkable. Paul, that's it. I yeah, can hear it yeah, now. I can hear a muted piano bass string. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that was the piano, yeah. but it sounds very much like it when Sean isolates that. Yeah. It's great that Eric remembers. That's great. It's great Eric rem- um, all these Eric quotes, I think all these Eric quotes are from his fairly recent autobiography. So it made a, mm-hmm. a strong impression on him, this track, amongst yeah. all that but other you, work yeah. they did. You know. Absolutely. But you can hear, yeah, the kind of dong. Yeah, dong, that's what we can hear, dong, isn't it? Yeah, right. Yeah. It, it's, it's syncopated. It's just like dong, dong. God, you know, yeah, that's fascinating. No, I, I now I hear it very clearly as a piano. Absolutely, into the inner workings. Yeah, that's it. And and something that contrasts with what you said, Eric, before about the the bass being so basic on on that bit. That's in stark contrast to the the wonderful bass that that Graham is playing on the first chorus. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I hope it comes across here. This is a really appalling bit of audio processing of just the center channel of of this track Um, but just bear with me a second while I try and find it One night in Paris, one 
I love that. Yeah. That, folks, is wonderful bass playing. Yeah, isn't very it? clever. It's, yeah, he's just doing arpeggios. That... From the minor to the major, and then later as the you know, moves. And then for the C chord, just a lot of boop, 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 boop. It, Yeah, it's, it's yep. wonderful stuff. And it only happens that first time, you're right. Because after that, uh, second and third, we really make it heavier. And just on the B, and Lowell adds this chromatic bit, which kind of takes the place of, of what was going on with Graham's delicate bass playing on the first chorus. Absolutely. And Graham, in many ways, is the unsung hero, yet again, uh, of this track. Um, I found a, a really amusing bit that surprised me because I'd always assumed it was one of the other members of 10CC singing this bit. Um, but it's in, 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 in section two. Have a listen to this high octave harmony that's sung um, and tell me who you think it is. Is that the highest vocal that Graham's ever sung in his life? It is definitely Graham, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Wow. And, yeah. and it's one of those examples of 10cc doubling themselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's brilliant, yeah. I th- yeah. I, I just love the, the different character and, and the fact that they're trying, all trying different, you know, getting out of, I guess, their so-called comfort zones or what they might be you know, best yes. known for or what their vocal role had been up to this point. Uh, yes, that's right. And, and, and staying in character for, mm-hmm. for, for the different sections of the song. That was Graham's bit, you know, fall in love the all-American way. It, it, it's kind of natural that he would sing harmony to himself on that bit because that's his character, he, you know, the, hus- <laughs> the hustler. Well, he's, I, he's, he sounds more like a sort of um, narrator almost, the, the, you know, in that, in that portion rather than a hustler. He sounds like he's narrating on the, the action. Um, that, the, the, he's outside yeah, of the action, the what, commenting That's on what it. I yeah, feel. And, yeah. and I guess he probably has to take that part because the other three can maybe do more extreme versions of themselves as the girls, if you like, in uh, yes. uh, the four or five or six girls. Uh, you know, uh, Lowell, obviously a great character singer. Kevin and Eric can do kind of extraordinary things with their voices. So that kind of maybe leaves Graham as the, the everyman in that section almost. Yeah, but it's interesting that in in the lyric sheet, Graham is is called Hustlers. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, and um, Lol, who's doing the French accent, yeah, maybe maybe Monsieur's into photographs, no? <laughs> he he's he's <laughs> good, very he's good. called yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, he, he's called off stage. <laughs> They are hustlers one, two, three, four, um, five. Le connoisseur wants any different. Five different hustlers off stage, all played by LOL. It, it, it yes, yeah, it's just, it, kind of a, a strange cast list there. And they have um, a little uh, uh, slight delay on his voice too, yes. maybe to uh, give the impression of being off stage. Yes, and he's got. It almost sounds like it's a, an automatic double tracking that's just locked into a single channel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, like you, what you were saying about the, the very opening lines, Eric. You know, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I'm going, you know, ridiculously geeky here, but for me, it's just, it's, it's wonderful to hear 10cc technically flexing their muscles, but also kind of dramatically flexing their muscles as well. Well, yeah, and speaking of the flexing the muscles, this the next section is is wholly unique as well. We have. This is the section that really gets me excited. This bit here, yeah. and uh, ushered it, it will... ushered in by Kev's brilliant fill, and uh, this is the bit. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, it, it it might be interesting to have just a slight sidebar uh, for some of the pianists out there. Yep. We hit upon this too briefly in the Revlon tape about Lowell loving to lock into a single hand position yes. on the white notes and moving up and down. Well, the, 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 the main body of the rest of part two is based on that. But let me I'll just recap. Um, the idea is to take a simple shape and just simply lock your hand into that single shape and move up <laughs> and down the, the keys. And I'll give a few specifics, again, just for those who have a piano and may want to try it. If you go to a C chord, uh, C, E, G, the, the, the root position, one of the most basic chords, and you have that as your position, that's the basis for uh, Lazy Ways. That's all up to that final chord, just that locked in up and down with a pedal point, with just a single note bass. Mm. If you take the same shape and you move it down to the next one, so B is on the bottom, we can jump to consequences. And even the next phrase, that's all that same shape. Now, if I take the same C shape and I put it up the lowest note, C, and I put it up an octave, this is what we call a first inversion. So now it's E on the bottom, G in the middle, C on top. So we have a bit of a gap between our top two notes. Well, he loved that one too. If I slide all the way down, we have the beginning of Lazy Days. Lazy ways. Four of them in a row. Wow. Um, and we jump back to consequences. Um, Mine, yours, ours. Now, the end of this, this is just like background stuff during the dialogue. It ends with the same thing. Oh, <laughs> Eric, honestly. No, Eric, let me pause you there. I, I'm in love with you. <laughs> The feeling is mutual. Uh, I think I'll go. No, I think I'll go and check on the fish now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we'll, we'll get a room. Yeah, yeah. I get a room. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, Do you need your a, break, Paul? Uh, uh, I, I, yeah, I need to turn those fish over. So thank you. That's a good. Okay. That's a good point. Okay. Now, don't get uh, we, up to anything try. while I'm away. Will you? No. <laughs> Would you like me to calm your goldfish, Mr. Hay? Oh, yeah, I was going to give you one more example of that. So I showed you stuff that's done with the root position, the first inversion. And if we put the E now up on top, on that C chord, we have G, C, E. So the gap now is between the lower two pitches. Uh, you have that little interlude in minestrone. 
Again, lock the hand in that position. And for the most part, these are just moving up and down by steps. Now, getting back to One Night in Paris, let's go back to our C root position chord. And this time, we're going to create a new shape by taking the highest note and going up two more. So now we have a large gap between our middle and highest notes, yeah. C, E, and B. And this one is, again, he gets a tremendous amount of use out of it for the rest of part two. So for this, it's, it's used in, you know you ain't no Casanova. When you hear it by itself, it sounds kind of strange and dissonant, yeah, but yeah. It's, it's harder to play because it's a larger gap. But also, it's the first example I'm showing where he's leaping. So we have these big jumps going on, which are uh, more challenging to play. Yeah. And the bass moves down. Or the samba. Cue that wonderful percussion. But that entire thing is just that shape. Yeah, and yeah. we have a little bit of a break here for the, the Chinese tarts thing, and then we come <laughs> back to it again. It's like, and yeah, as we move on, we do break away, and we have this kind of musical trope of trying to uh, you know, uh, evoke images of the Far East yes. by using pentatonic scales. And plus there's uh, splash symbols that Kevin is yeah. playing, more than likely. <laughs> Yeah, so you have that. Then we have the, no, you ain't no Casanova. And now we come to that section we were talking about before that, I agree, it does tend to go on a while. Yes. Uh, and this one, again, goes back to that shape that we made earlier of the C, E, and B. If we lock into that and move down, that's what we have. I confess, this is the one section that uh, doesn't do a heck of a lot for me. To me, it sounds like it's a backing track in, in need of some kind of unifying, connecting melody, you know, and I'm, I'm curious about its origins and what they might have tried to have there. I think it just overstays its welcome a little bit. Yeah. It's very repetitive. I'm with you. And, and, and it's all based on that single shape, just in moving around a little bit, and minimal in the left hand, too. Um, so if I, if I had just one little complaint about, you know, the, the, the construction of the song, uh, this is the one bit that I think could have been trimmed somewhat, or at least have some sort of melodic device to, to help uh, uh, carry it through. Yeah, that is really interesting, Eric. And, and I wanted to throw in a, a gambit for you here. We've heard a lot of bollocks, haven't we, about this track influencing Bohemian Rhapsody. How about this for a, a kind of a, a backwards look at that? Rather than it influencing Bohemian Rhapsody, I think this middle section, the, the LOL's piano section, sounds influenced by Supertramp to me. And, and it re really reminds me... Crime of the Century. Yeah, yeah. of Crime of the like Century school? And, and School. Exactly. Yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Can you uh, yeah. can you I play agree. school for us, Eric? I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you can. I, I've got I've got it I've got it queued up. Oh. Have you, do you know it, um, Eric? Well, here's the thing: to to maintain the illusion that I know every piece, <laughs> it probably is best that I don't try to play a piece that I don't have directly in my fingers. So I'll I'll, I'll let you go to the recording on okay. this one. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, if I can just give you a brief, brief thing of Crime of the Century too. I think I think that's closer. Uh, I mean, school is. It's dare we say it's a better rhythm and it's got more interesting harmonically going on than that section of yeah. One Night in Paris. But that's a. It's a great observation on both accounts, Sean, because it's essentially the same kind of technique with white notes, you know. For most of it, it's the same kind of position. It's a little bit more clever in the latter, where there's a little bit of like, you know, of of, of keeping the top note the same and moving. But I think both are are excellent examples. They are a a similar kind of flavor. And uh, the... Um, Crime of the Century came out at the time that that Kevin Law were writing this. Well, and you know, it, again, I agree. I don't think the, the, there's a fair comparisons to Bohemian Rhapsody, and I don't think anybody ripped off anybody. Because um, I think organically you can kind of see both groups heading to this obvious place. Mm-hmm. I mean, Queen with something like, you know, March of the Black Queen had several sections and different characters and such. And with 10CC, of course, they have loads of pieces that have characters somewhere in Hollywood of course is you know multiple sections yeah. so I, I really don't think it's it's I think it's just a natural and if you, of course you look at the progressive rock bands you know the longer form multi-movement pieces have been around for you know many years by that point yeah or even you know the the, the Beatles with you never give me your money or McCartney uh, uh, Uncle Albert you know the, the idea of these little episodic bits no is exactly nothing and, new. And I think I think Music is full of that, and I was kind of making a list of, of those sort of things uh, that had happened already in music. Uh, yeah. And I'm thinking of um, an album I mentioned yonks ago, Paul, on a pod, Nigel Lived oh, yeah. by Mur- Murray Head, which is like a concept album of a, of a guy who kind of descends into a drug hell. And you've got Aqualung by Jethro Tull. You've got um, Battle of Epping Forest by um, you know Peter, oh, yeah, Peter Gabriel. Right. Do you see what yeah. I mean? It's like those those very episodic pieces. Yeah, uh, but I think I, Ru- Rudy by by Supertramp as well. You mm-hmm, know, tells a similar mm-hmm. story. I think there are similarities between Bohemian Rhapsody and One Night in Paris, but I do think they're completely coincidental. But they yeah. they sound mm. very alike. They're both based around piano, bass, and drums, and a hell of a lot of vocals. Okay, there's yes, there, there's true. some guitar yeah. in Bohemian Rhapsody, but not actually that much. Um, so that there, you know, that there is a similarity, but I, I think it's, I don't, I don't think it was intentional. Where well, he quite succinctly says, in again in his autobiography, some people think this track, One Night in Paris, influenced Freddie Mercury and Qu- and Queen to write Bohemian Rhapsody. Bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So we have it on the authority. We, we, we are one. Eric himself. We are one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Have we ever tried to play One Night in Paris backwards? Maybe there's some clues. Ah, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Maybe Notre Dame is ringing her bells. It sounds like Bismillah. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Eric, stop tempting me with this or- oral porn. Conspiracy theories Absolutely. abound. Yeah. yeah. Should we go into part three? I think we should. Um, sure. Yeah, and Coquette, who I, I think I wrongly referred to as a prostitute in part one, she's the madame, isn't she? I think she's the the, the pimpess. 
when they raided my club that yes. night. Yeah. 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 And, and, and so part three starts with Coquette's Girls. 42, Garde, etc. You know, that's a real uh, place. And, uh, 42, uh, Rue de Saint-Jacques is a real street in it, Paris. You know, it's, is it, it? Do we have a photo on Google it, Earth? We do somewhere. It, look, it looks fairly nondescript, but uh, it does exist. <laughs> it's, it's so funny you mentioned that. When we were in Paris several years ago, we happened upon Rue de Saint-Jacques. Ah, and I, no. my wife... I, I, I had my wife say, I gotta find 42, Caranto. And I think it's, if I remember correctly, I think it's near Notre Dame Cathedral. And, oh. and so we walked down the street. But <laughs> oh. I could only find, I think, adjacent numbers. I think that you could kind of skipped a few. So I was disappointed. I'm sure I got a photo of like what I thought was ah. uh, 42. But there you go. That's just the obsessive, you know, geekery <laughs> of us. Uh, <laughs> No, musical passionate oh, fans. I'm jealous of that trip. I mean, there we were talking about going to Swindon uh, in the last one. <laughs> this kind of, well, kind of knocks it into a cocked hat, doesn't it? Yeah. The idea of don't they have a big a... railway history there? That's 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 interesting too. This third section for me is much more interesting narratively than it is musically, uh, because I, ah, I I love yeah. I love the sense of tragedy. In, in Kevin play, playing that, you, you know, you can imagine in great sort of British soap opera tradition, the, the tragic blonde kind of landlady um, kind of telling her life story and it all ended in, in tragedy. I love that. But musically and sonically, I just, I, it, it kind of annoys me. And it might just be the sound of hi hats and and cymbals that that put me oh, off. Oh, they're very bright, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. I, that's always bothered me. Uh, they've always been, and every source that I get, it it's it's it seems to be you know baked into the the, the track. Yeah, it's, it's so shrill, isn't it? Yeah, it I, is. like yeah. Hats. I like the hi hats. I like the hi hats because they are so upfront. I think they're. I think it's a lo- really? oh, okay. great sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm hoping I'm getting some distortion on my mic, uh, yeah, just to kind I of illustrate it. There are versions that I found that are more appealing, less harsh, but I've heard some masterings where those are just, you know, the, the sizzle is just too much for my ears. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Sean, I think you're right, because, again, we're kind of like making this sort of quasi uh, French torch song parody. You yeah, know? So yeah. musically, I think it's meant to be... It's meant to be sort of evocative of, of that. And it, it kind of... I mean, the, the, the backing vocals are wonderful and the, the lead is, is great, but musically, you're right. It's just kind of uh, very traditional. But I'll add one little thing that I think is really clever. When they get to the middle section of that, when they raided my club that night, something very unusual here is happening in the bass. Rather than going one, five, they're doing one to the flatted sixth. That's very unusual. I'm emphasizing it for you. So they put their own little twist on it at so, that point. But what does that do? Does that kind of that sort of paints a Jack the Ripper thing? That, that's yeah. what I taste in my in my head. Yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? It's unsettling. Yeah, it's unsettling because we, we suddenly that C chord. The reason the the uh, five works so well, the C to G, is because that's part of the chord. So it blends in very well. The A flat. 
is not part of this, the, the, technically now we have an A-flat major seventh chord, but it's so that shift is rather unsettling, yeah. and again, it, it works beautifully with, with trying to have a bit of, of menace in the, uh, the story. Wow. Is, yeah. is that played on the piano or on the bass guitar, um, Eric? Uh, piano is very heavy there with the bass. I, I'm thinking at that point, bass just doubling okay, it. Okay. Um, in fact, I think the only little bit, I mean, there's, there's occasional bits where the bass is independent, but I would imagine there that it's, it's going to be the uh, bass just very clearly plodding away in C to A flat. Oh, that's great. But Lowell's mm. doing it, it. Oh, I love yeah, that. If it was yeah. just one to five, it would be quite boring there, so it really spices. Yeah. If they raided my club, yes. my it's similar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, only routine. I got a feeling of incompleteness. But then this yeah, part. Yeah, this is, I this think is again, my favorite that, part that, of the whole song. Okay. Yes, isn't it great? Can, can, I, can I press pause just briefly on that bit? Because okay. I, I, I really wanted to highlight that because I, they're among the two most beautiful things that 10CC ever did. Can I just highlight a couple of other things? Yeah, um, sure. I think um, up until those beautiful kind of lead vocal bits, I think Kevin and Graham are doing all the vocals uh, on on this section. Uh, here's an example of the humming, which I really like. It's kind of camp, <laughs> and uh, um, it reminds me of the the camp sailors who sing on Honolulu Lulu. You know, the, the, I was going to say it's very much consequences, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, it yeah. really is. Listen to the humming. Yeah. He was a pimp in a black beret, but he was an artist in his own way. Love it. Oh, nice. L- love it. Nice. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd forgotten to to mention this in the the end of part two, so we'll have to do an uh, an insert, which is Kevin's. Incredible timpani. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is is very macho. Another vote for the Bohemian Rhapsody One Night in Paris connection there because Roger added (laughs) some timpani to the backing track. So yes, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, (laughs) yes, yeah, uh, yeah. So point taken on that one. That's so pretty. Wonderful. Old wild men, level of beauty. You know, if the... Right, because they, they both have that... I'm sorry, they have, both have that that, uh, that handoff from Eric to Kevin. Yeah, right which to is, left. It's, just, yeah. it's, it's yeah. so beautiful that... Uh, I just... Oh, boy. Have two vocalists like that in the same band. What I, a, I know. What a gift. I know. Someone once told me that one of the secrets of great arranging was to introduce a brilliant idea and then immediately supplant it with a second 
brilliant idea, which uh, this is, you know, that in vocal arranging, where you, you're only just getting used to the, the, the sort of beauty of Eric's vocal, and then you, it's immediately you're taken into uh, to Kevin's. It's... It's not fair. <laughs> Plus, I like the way there that, again, we're stepping out of the action and Eric very briefly is functioning as a narrator, isn't he? Quite yes, sw- yes. Quite objectively, yeah. and we, we, then the floor clear. And once again, we have, yeah, once again, we have a very a, a clean break from the rather cliché to something that is wholly Utterly original. Beautiful. Yeah. What, what is happening musically there, Eric, on that, those sections? Well, we're back to our old friend of the locked hand, okay. of the locked really? uh, uh, position. If we go back and we look at the, the first inversion, so it's E, G, C, and we go back down here, he adds one new twist that I haven't heard in any other 10CC track, and that is go up to the neighboring black notes and then down. So it introduces something that we haven't heard before. So we have uh, the starting position here on the white notes would be F, A, D. B flat is playing, or the left hand's playing the B flat pedal. But he begins a half step higher. The shape is like an E flat minor chord. And now we're back to white notes. So if I play it really pedestrian-like, So apart from the first one, it's all uh, white notes. And then at that point, we have more traditional chords when Kevin comes in. These are all more traditional chords. But that's a love. That is a lovely transition, isn't it? It is. But then. When we come back to the, uh, we're back to we're back to the the locked shape again with the same chords as before: black, white, white, white. For the and then just for this doing this job again, all white notes. And this is the case where we have multiple pianos, so yes. I can kind of approximate it. Yeah. Again, there's one shape of that first inversion shape for all of that, too. But he puts a little twist on it, and you wouldn't have necessarily equated that with the same technique that we heard in, you know, a, a, a single position. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that is oh, wonderful. Are you with me, um, Eric? Because I, I spotted the overdubbing of, of pianos, which I only spot on, on part three of this track. Um, there might be some doubling, like, like for instance, I could be wrong, but, but, you know, this sounds pretty heavy. Uh, I could be wrong though. It just might be, you know, just, just very aggressive playing, but certainly in part three, there are several sections where there's at least two pianos. Um, yes. and oftentimes, oh, you know, I can, I guarantee you, uh, as well as the choruses, you can hear, uh... Uh, you do hear different octaves in, the, in the, uh, okay. uh, those little bits as well. So I think that it's something that happens uh, sparsely, perhaps, but, but perhaps in all three sections there, there are bits of it. This section goes into a, a bit of studio trickery from Eric as well, where you've got... Uh, Notre Dame's ringing its bells, another gendarme has gone to hell. 
and then all four of them kind of repeat it more aggressively to hell to hell to hell and you, you oh and they're, t- they're turning the knob in- knob up to 11 aren't they on the on the on the feedback it's great, but I, I'd love to point out earlier how they try to tie musically everything back together. So, like, for where we left off, you'll start to hear some quotes from uh, earlier. Um, so we have, uh, the John's just doing his job. And then we're back to section one. Paris is only one step away. Murder is only. So that harkens back to what we had in, in part number one. Yes. Then there's that little transition, which again is multiple pianos, kind of something like this. Super Tramp again. It, yeah, very much Super Tramp yeah. with multiple. And those are just based on uh, a C minor and F minor with the root starting on the second degree. A very common thing. Yeah. Then the part that you were mentioning, Sean, I love that bit. We're back to our locked hand position. Uh, Notre Dame's ringing her bells. And this time it goes black, white, white, black. So it's, a, again, a little variation of the pattern. Ring the bell, bells, ring. What is, what is <laughs> happening in the story there? Does, um, uh, does the, the, one of the raiding gendarmes get murdered? I've always been a bit unclear what actually happens. Is the corrupt gendarme that Coquette's in love with get killed? What what happens? Yeah, I think so, Paul. I think so. The latter, you reckon? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> the um, when it comes to compositions like this, for me, always the last thing I'll look into would be you know the narrative like that because I'm always so distracted. <laughs> yeah, yeah same the literal here. the literal <clears throat> bells and whistles of what's going on musically. So I just kind of memorize the words and I'll happily sing along and then you know maybe not reflect on what's going on yeah. in the story for I, quite some time afterwards. No, true. I honestly think that the gendarme kills Henri. And that's why that's why the gendarme's going to hell because uh, he shot Oh, okay. Coquette's lover. Okay. Ah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and uh, where the leather umbrella comes in, I I dread to think. (laughs) Yeah, maybe we're glad there wasn't a video for that. But um, ruined my act. Yes. I think it's just the way they've literally turned the knob up to 11 on the kind of delay feedback or something where the delay repeats and repeats and repeats right. you turn it right up so it, it feeds back okay um and then i think it just yeah it sounds like tell i think right um, yeah it's a really striking moment yeah but the, and then of course the last one uh is the same form wise as the second chorus uh with those it's just grander it's a little slower it's bigger it's more of a you know punctuation mark this is the 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 end of the piece um they do something clever too form wise the first chorus uh is one measure shorter when we get to the each night in paris it's it's two measures of that whereas the second and the third chorus they add a measure just to give that extra little uh, oomph the gravitas i suppose before the yes. the, the final uh, cadence 
yeah, waiting for the yeah the payoff, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like like we sort of alluded to before, I, I like the way that that Lowell's piano gets the final harmony part in this. This is the third chorus. So we we we've got that Eric, Kevin, Graham, Lowell, and then Lowell's piano takes the final part. Let's have a listen. See what I mean? It's kind of like that. There are five, five bits. Oh, I see what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and the mm-hmm. piano goes ching, 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 ching. Yes, I see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, sort of like because Lowell's piano is like I said right at the start. The, the way it's mixed, right in the middle, Lowell's piano is the star of this show for yeah. me and for Eric, I think. Well, certainly, it's, all the musical material came from Lowell, pretty much, didn't it? There, all the, all the, yeah. all the kind of the, the, the backbone of a song in the writing as well as the it's got his trade, his, his trademarks are all over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it's utterly unique in their their uh, catalog. I mean, you know, in terms of instrumentation and the scale of it and the the amount of of different parts and voices and such. Mm-hmm. And so, as I was saying before earlier, Paul, about how that's what entertains me about this song is just. There's so much of these little nuggets to grab a hold of that delight me every time I hear them, mm-hmm. even if, you know, maybe the scope of it is not as satisfying as like a Bohemian Rhapsody, for say, but uh, emotionally. But I just love it. I think it's just, I, I admire the hell out of it. Same here. <laughs> and I just enjoy listening to it. And I've thoroughly enjoyed Picking it apart with you two. This is just so much fun <laughs> to go into capital G geek mode and just uh, be able to kind of do, you know, a, a deep dive, as, as you said. Oh, that, yeah, that I wonder. If I, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, if we get any feedback from this, chaps. I'm looking forward to all the people saying, but what about A, B, C, D, E, F, and G? All the things that we've not said about this, because. Uh, we, we there must be so much that we've missed. Of course, yeah. and you know, no matter how hard we as individuals look at these, we are still individuals. So it takes other people to be able to say, you know, have a different kind of perspective, or be able to uh, observe, you know, find something that that, we, that missed us. Yeah. because so. some someone you know might say, oh, you don't realize it's based on a, a novel or a, mm-hmm. an existing play or a mm-hmm. movie or something like that. You know, we've completely missed on that. But uh, oh, this has been just amazing. Um, Paul, I'm not sure if this has changed, you know, set you off kilter a little bit. Do you like it more or, le- or less? No, than, than the... c- certainly not less. Certainly not less. I, um, it's a song that I would love to see perform, be performed live uh, by anybody, really. I think it's got that... Mm. Uh, it's so theatrical. But um, in my bones, it doesn't move me like some of the other great 10cc material does that that's all i can say no. really but it moves yeah. it moves the head um, but maybe not the mm. heart as much yeah but it's it's almost a, a classic of form isn't it rather than kind of songwriting it's, it's kind of almost like a, a it's a tour de force literally yeah i i uh, never realized until it's been pointed out you know here how unusual in in form it is and that's uh, yes a that might be why uh, it connects with me in some ways less but it, it's certainly a 
it, it's an extreme musical statement, isn't it? And I hadn't really realised how mm-hmm. much it was, and that, that's fascinating. Wow. I think, Paul, you kind of hit upon a comment that I, I think I've heard Kevin uh, mention about how that he felt they might be guilty of, of you know, writing or, and recording for the, the head rather than the heart. And right. that, that uh, so I think it's something that they were probably aware of and just it was their nature that it wasn't in, in them to necessarily have the, you know, the more satisfying I suppose, uh, narratives and things and, and uh, traditional forms. So yeah. uh, I guess that's something that the band themselves were certainly aware of. Yeah, and, and maybe a microcosm of, of consequences. Yeah, that they mm. were... although that does move me. I mean, it's a very difficult question why, but uh, it moves me as a whole, the piece. I find it much more satisfying. Obviously, it's a much longer and deeper story and it has more dimensions to it. But the music within consequences, certainly parts of it, I find... And this is just personal taste, you know, it connects with me more strongly, that's all. Yes, no, 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 mm, I, I, yeah. I totally get that. But I think it, it's kind of, in many ways, consequences in miniature, in that it was um, Godly and Cream trying to create something that was utterly three-dimensional, mm. and visual and aural, music that you could smell and see and taste. Um, and... That the, the artistic process of trying to create that kind of transcended the anything traditional like chords or melody. Yes. I don't think they. I don't think they cared. They just wanted. They wanted to go take something to a cinematic extreme. I, Do you know what I, I mean? I mm-hmm. agree, and I also am so pleased that you know at that stage um, all four of them were working on it even though you know we see so often or always really in the tense, best ten C material although. It might be two guys writing it. It takes all four of them to make it what yeah. it is, and that that's really nice to see. Yeah, and very um, true. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And Eric taking such a minimal role mm. because he would have, he would have been a busy chap on this uh, at the knobs, as Kevin would say, adding the most the least amount of instrumentation that Eric's ever added. Well, to a track. added and took off. I mean, tantal- yes. tantalizingly, this could be. Uh, these parts could still exist on those multi-tracks, couldn't they? Mm. Uh, and um, not yeah. that we have them, and we we think a certain um, mm. Eric uh, Stewart's got those. So uh, it, it would be, <laughs> ab- you know, this would be number oh, a trip. Yeah, this a tri- would be number one on the list yeah. if uh, if we were able to ever sit down with Eric and and, and listen to the multi-tracks. Yeah. But hey. Nice. But Eric's contributions as the engineer is just extraordinary. I mean, we look at we we're talking about all the different effects and the the, the colors applied to the voices. Sure. I mean, sure, sure. The uh, when you get to that little bit, the yeah. this, the the, re, the warm reverb that, that uh, the, happens. The way that the, the reverb bleeds from the left channel into the right, and then the right hand mm-hmm. vocal bleeds into the left. Mm. So you've got. Yeah. On stage, you can see it, can't you? The two characters are literally, you know, a mile apart on stage, mm, yeah. and yet they they kind of that the drama bleeds across each other. It's, it's just, it is really really wonderful. Apart from too much high high end on the uh, on the cymbals and hi hats. <laughs> Agreed. That, yeah, that, that's probably my you know that's my only gripe about this track because I think it's fucking brilliant. And what what yeah. a way to start an album. What a two song. Yeah. opening salvo for an album. Yeah, then. Are we going to go right into talking about this one now? <laughs> no! 
I need, I need, I need to have, we a, have, another I need to have a lie okay. down, Eric. Yeah, and I, okay. I need to uh, right. take the fish out of the oven now. But um, yeah, Fair uh, but no, I, yes. wonderful, magnifique. Yeah, magnifique. <laughs> been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening